0: Okay. Um, (laughs) So cool having all of our new members help lead us in worship. Thank you all. Um, So, uh, just as a total side note, too, before I start talking about this Thessalonians passage, if anyone else would ever like to get involved by reading or involved in helping lead worship, let us know. We'd love to plug you in, read scripture, um, help lead the call to worship, whatever you like. And so let us know um, if there's something you feel like you would like to get involved with. So, um, our passage in Thessalonians. Eh, well, doesn't matter. Figure it out. Um, all right. So last week, the passage in the sermon was entitled Encourage. Tonight, it's, it's very similar. It's Encourage Again. And the reason it's Encourage Again is because Paul ends both of these discourses we read last week and this week with the word encourage and, 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 and telling the church to encourage one another. If you remember last week, we talked about the rapture passage, how Jesus will come and and grab us, and how the purpose of this was not that we would put it on our calendars, but that we would have hope. And so we enter into this passage tonight with that question. If we are to encourage each other with the hope we have in Jesus, what is our hope? Paul says in verse 1, I know you don't need to know about the date and the time, right? We don't need to know exactly when, but we need to know that it's in the Lord's time and that the Lord will return. And Paul tells them in verse 2 here that it will actually come like a thief in the night, a common phrase. Jesus used this as well. It's it's about not expecting it, not knowing when it's happening. And, and, And as we know often in life, this is exactly how the Lord works. We wait and we wait and we wait, hoping for something or wanting something to happen. And just when we least expect it, the Lord answers. But in verse 3, Paul warns us that there is people. there are people who, who do not wait with the hope of the Lord. That some will say, oh, peace and safety, it'll be fine. No big deal. But the Lord's coming will surprise them. See, what Paul is saying here is that he, some people will think that they have it all worked out. Some people will think that, in fact, we don't need the Lord, much like the Zephaniah passage, where they think, oh, the Lord won't do anything good or bad. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And Paul says, in fact, those will be the ones, those who are overconfident, that it will, in fact, lead to their destruction. And this is exactly what we read in Zephaniah just now. He says what? This is from the Old Testament reading. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent. Those who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad, their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. So Paul is warning against not just, you know, we don't need to worry about the day the Lord returns, but we also don't need to think that it doesn't matter. Because even in the Old Testament, here, there were people who thought that they had outgrown God. There were people who thought that God's not going to do anything good or bad. Who cares? Just live life. It doesn't matter. And Paul says what? He says, No. Those people will be destroyed. And according to the prophet, I love this because he uses the same imagery the Apostle Paul uses. The prophet uses the image of light. He says, The Lord will search out Jerusalem with lamps. Because the city has grown dark. But with lamps, God will illuminate everything that is going on. This is the same thing Paul uses in a second. See, this warning Paul gives in verse 3 to the Thessalonian church is to tell the church, hey, wait patiently for the Lord. Seek his coming, but do not think these things we do do not matter. Do not think he will not return because the Lord will indeed return. And so Paul then uses the same analogy from the Old Testament in verse 4. And he says, because we, brothers and sisters in Christ, are not in the dark. Verse 5, he says that we are in the light. That we are children of the light. It's not even just that we are in the light, but no, we are children who have been born of light. Who have been born of this goodness of God. And this, as we know, is throughout all of Scripture. For those of you who have read a lot of this book, this analogy is through the whole thing. Psalm 27 says that the Lord is our light and our salvation. Our psalm, Psalm 90, says that in his presence we are in light. John chapter 1 verse 5 says that the coming Messiah says that Jesus is the very light of the world. It's a very clear metaphor throughout all of Scripture. Sisters and brothers, Tonight, remember, we are not called to live in the dark because we are children of the light. And so when Paul says this, he is not just saying something empty. He is not just saying something to make us feel good. He is calling on an analogy used throughout all of Scripture to remind us of our calling. And this is our hope. We talked about having hope to not fear death last week in 1 Thessalonians 4. This is our hope, that we are indeed children of the light. This is the reason that we wait patiently for the Lord, that we would live in the light. And this is really important, that we would not just live in the light one day, right? We don't just do these things to get to heaven. Now, sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel that way and we think, oh, I just got to make it to the end, right? Right? We have days and we have seasons where we just think, just get me to the end. But that's not what Scripture teaches. See, Jesus taught this. John the Baptist taught this. The Apostle Paul teaches this. We are to live in the light now and in the life to come. It's not just for the end, it's for the future when Jesus comes back. No, because the Lord will return, yes. The Lord will also give us our daily bread each and every day, won't he? We're going to pray this prayer in a a, a moment or two. Give us this day our daily bread. To live in the light is not just to hope for heaven and wait for that day. To live in the light is to live in the kingdom of God here and now. We know that one day we will be made great. But no, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, he tells the church that this is available to you now. That you are not called to live in darkness today, you are called to live in the light today. So, verse 6, let us not be like others who live in the dark. Let us wake up, he says. Do not live in ignorance. Do not sleep. Do not wait. Be awake and be sober. Because, verse 7, those who sleep will sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Those people who live in the dark... And whether this is people who think, like the prophet says, well, God's not going to do anything, what difference does it make? Or these are people who, like he mentioned a few verses before in verse 3, they think everything's fine. They think the world is good, I have everything I need. Whatever it is, Paul says these people are living in the dark. Or, maybe, for you and for me tonight, it's not that these are people living in darkness, but these are people who are children of the light, People who have claimed the name of Jesus Christ, people who believe these things, but are choosing to live in the darkness. See, those people who don't know Jesus, those people who haven't read this book, those people who haven't professed him, they know no different. They've always lived in the dark. But for those of us who know different, let me ask you, just kind of bluntly, why do we choose to remain in the dark so often? Why do we choose to to, to live in the darkness so often? Paul continues in verse 8 to say, For those of you who belong to the light, why do you not want to come into the light? Why do you choose to go back into the darkness? Verse 8, because if you believe in Jesus, you belong to the light. You do not belong to the night. You belong to the day. Why are you living in a place that was not designed for you? Why are you living in a way that God has not intended for you? So put on the armor of God. This, if you want the full passage about the armor of God, is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. It says, Dress yourselves in the promises of God. Read this book. Know what this book says about you. Know the promises of God and live in those. Live in the light of the truth of Scripture. Not in the darkness of this world. Dress yourself in the promises of God and be ready, be awake, be sober. So, church, let me ask you. Why do we sometimes choose to live in the dark? (laughs) Or for you personally? Why are you living a life that is not what God has for you? Maybe it's a choice you're making. Maybe there's an element of your life or an area of your life where you continually make a choice over and over, knowing it's bad for you, knowing it's returning to the dark, but yet you keep doing it. Maybe it's not a choice you're making, but it's a lie you're believing. That somehow, somewhere, the darkness of the world has told you something about you that is not true. And you continue to believe that lie rather than trusting in the promises of Scripture. And how God sees you. Maybe you're believing a lie of how the world sees you. And so I just challenge you. Stop and think. Why are you doing the things that are in darkness? Why do we do these things? And then Paul continues in verse 9, 10, and 11. And this. Do not miss this. Verse 9. God gave us salvation. Not wrath and destruction. Do not go down a road that leads to wrath and destruction, because that is not what God gives us. That is not what Christ gives us. That is not what light gives us. God made you a child of the light. God lifted you up from the darkness. It's like like God lifted you up out of a dark pit, and you see the world all around, and you see how beautiful and wonderful it is, and you say, wow, okay, I'm going back in the pit now. Why do we do these things? Verse 10, Paul reminds us that Christ died for us so that we would be with him in the light. Whether you are sleeping or awake, whether you believe these things, have always believed them, or are just starting to believe them, it is for all of us. And that is why we live in the light, verse 11. To live in the light and then encourage others with the light of Jesus Christ. This is why it's encouraged last week with the hope we have in Jesus, and then encourage again and go and live this out to the world. You know, in Romans, it's really funny. I always kind of wondered this. In Romans, the Apostle Paul says that he wants to preach the gospel to the church in Rome. And I always thought this was funny. I thought, well, if they're already the church, haven't they heard the gospel? (laughs) Haven't they chosen to believe this? Why would Paul focus on on the gospel? Why wouldn't he go into a deeper theological truth? Or why is Paul always repeating Christ's death and resurrection to the church? I mean, he's writing these letters to the church. They already know this stuff. Let's get into deeper things, right? Um, Why preach the gospel? You know, and I was thinking about us tonight and here in this room and those of you online. Hi, everyone. Some of you guys have been Christians your whole life. Some of you would say, you know what? I don't even remember a time I wasn't a Christian. I've always gone to church, baptized as a baby, went to confirmation. Like, I've kind of always been a Christian. Some of you guys have been a Christian a really, really, really long time. Some of you more recently, maybe just weeks or months. Some of you in this room or online may not even identify as a Christian. You like the church. People are nice. Music's nice. It's encouraging. But you don't personally identify with Scripture and with Jesus, and you have never made a profession of faith or been baptized. See, we're all on different roads, and we all see life a little bit differently. But church, we want to do what Paul says at the end of chapter 4. We want to do what he says here in chapter 5, verse 11. We want to join together. We want to encourage one another. Those who are asleep... And those who are living in the light, we want to come together and share testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another that we would all be lifted up out of that dark pit. And really, sometimes it's this simple. The reason the Apostle Paul always preached the gospel was because that is the foundation of everything we do. There is always a time to study deeper things, but sometimes we just have to remember who Jesus was and what Jesus did for us. And so, some of you might remember this. Um, It's hard to believe, it's over four and a half, almost five years ago, in March of 2016, I came here, uh, candidating to maybe be the associate pastor. Um, I actually still remember Carl in the window at the airport, you and you, Leon, like waving at me through the window, baggage claim. And I preached my first sermon in the evening service in this room. And um, I doubt, I mean, you might have been here, and and some people might have been here. You were there, Patty? Um, You were there, Caitlin? Awesome. Um, Do any of you guys, I doubt you guys do. Uh, So I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to actually ask. Um, What I preached on. I actually still remember what I preached on vividly that night. And I'm going to explain why. In in Acts 26 is the account of the Apostle Paul sharing his testimony for Agrippa. And and the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 gives his testimony, and actually he says, sorry about that, and actually he says he's trying to convert the authorities who are putting him on trial by sharing his testimony, by sharing of the great things God has done. And he actually says in in Acts 26, it says this, Paul replied, uh, this is verse 29, short time or long, I I pray to God that not only you, talking to Agrippa, But all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. He says, I want you all to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I thought about this and about what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian church to do and how we're all different. We all have different testimonies, right? We all are on different roads. We're all on different stages of our journey. But the work of the gospel has done in our life can never be forgotten. We can never forget what Jesus has done for us. The simplest truth of this passage, that we are children of the light and that we should walk in the light and not in darkness, we need to remember and we need to cling to. For us, for each of us, we should aspire to share our testimony with anyone who will listen, to tell them of the things God has done. And again, this is not new. This is throughout all of Scripture. Remember, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River to take the promised land, what did they do? Stop. Pray, worship, set up stones of remembrance so your children and your grandchildren will know what the Lord has done for you. So I thought, you know, many of you I know a little bit. We, you know, are friendly. We know each other's names, and that's great. But I thought, actually, what I would do tonight then to wrap up and to sort of, do this is share a little bit of my testimony. Why I'm a pastor. You know, so I want to do this, and, and if I get emotional, forgive me, it's because, well, you guys know this, I'm a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll do my best. You know, why am I a pastor? People actually ask me this all the time. Like, did you always want to be a pastor? No. No, I didn't. I love my job, but that was the, No. You know, life is really interesting. We all sort of experience rejection in life, right? And it's all varying levels. Maybe we didn't get into the university we wanted. Maybe we didn't get the job we wanted. Um, Maybe we've lost a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. There's nothing like the first time you ask someone out and they reject you right to your face. It's just, it's a wonderful learning experience. Um, We all know what rejection feels like in, in, in some cases. But for me, when I think about my testimony, what I think about is what happens when we experience rejection that should never have happened? What happens when we experience rejection that is not our fault? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, I will often refer to my parents. This is the biggest, one of the biggest issues of my testimony when I think about my relationship with God. I always talk about my parents, my mom and my dad, but if you ever, they've been here, but it's been a couple years. My mom's about yay high and my dad's about yay high. And then people look at me and say, well, you must get your height from your mother, right? And, and, and the reality is, and we always laugh, but the reality is, is the person I refer to as my dad is actually my stepfather. I don't actually know my real dad. Um, I've seen him a handful of times in my life. Each time was super awkward and uncomfortable. Um, and my family had a lot of reasons for that. There was divorce, there was sin, there was darkness, they weren't walking with Jesus. There's a lot of reasons. But for me personally, when I think about my testimony, when I think about God taking me from the dark and into the light, For me, it was to grow up in a world without a dad, and not just to grow up without my father, but to know that out there somewhere is a person with the last name Jerfy, which, by the way, not super common, Hungarian last name in the United States, you know, it's not like there's a lot of us and you got confused. Um, I grew up, honestly, with a feeling of rejection, not just abandonment, but a feeling of rejection, and rejection from a place it should have never happened. When a person who was never supposed to reject me, rejected me, all of a sudden, as a young person, you grow up thinking, anyone can reject you, anyone can hurt you. And so what do you do? You protect yourself. You build walls. You come up with defense mechanisms. Right? And and, and you protect yourself, and you only give so much of yourself to the world because you know they might turn on you. And I became a Christian as a teenager, and some things began to change right? People who actually didn't need to accept me in the church, like we saw tonight with membership and how beautiful this is. People who had no business accepting me as a teenager began to accept me. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I have this whole like, rejection concept like struggling in my brain, and yet people are accepting me. I felt love over my life from youth leaders and mentors and friends, and realized the rejection I felt was not from God but from someone who just lived in the dark and didn't know the light. I remember the first time I felt this acceptance was when I was 13 years old. And over the years, being in the church, it has happened again and again and again that Jesus has come into my life and brought light and rejected the lie that the world doesn't want me. And, and, and we all do this, though. We have these stories. And, and there's something about the darkness that is comforting to us, isn't there? And we want to go back to those lies. We want to go back to the sin. We want to go back to the darkness. We want to try to protect ourselves. And, and, and I confess, there are times when I want that, too. But then I read this passage, and I think about my life, the 23 years I've been following Jesus. And I remember... That when I go back to the place, I'm reminded that I am a child of the light. And the pain and suffering of this world is not what Jesus has for us. Verse 9. He does not have pain and suffering for us, but salvation. Church, we don't always like the darkness, but it pulls at us, doesn't it? We don't like our sin, but it pulls at us and draws us in. We don't like the lies of the world, but yet somehow they feel comforting at times. It tempts us. This morning on the way into church, um, I was listening to this song and I wanted to share it with you. It's a song called Born Again by Josh Garrels. And he's talking about this very thing, wrestling with the darkness and the light. And he says, I'm running scared in between what I hate and what I need. Savior and enemy are both trying to take my soul and I can't hide no more. I stumble out into the light, and I raise my fist up to fight, and then I catch your eyes so full of love. Lord, what have I done? I cry at your feet, wounded for me and all of the monsters and men, but here in your light, we can begin again. Here in your light, Lord, we can can begin again. We can begin to be healed from sin. We can be healed from the lies we have believed about ourselves. My testimony is a testimony of restoration from feelings of rejection and abandonment. What is yours? What has the Lord saved you from? What has the light taken the darkness out of in your life? What is your story? And are you using your story, your testimony to encourage others? because that's what Paul says we should do. Take your testimony, take your story, and encourage one another with it. What has God done in your life? What is your story? And if you feel like right now, maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're in the dark right now. Maybe you feel like you're being crushed. Continue to join with other believers and listen to their stories and let their stories encourage you. Hear my story. If nothing else, trust me. Can you trust me? Can you trust the other people in this room? The the little pamphlet where some of you guys, just in a paragraph or two, said that the Lord has been doing great things in your life and you're so grateful to be here and part of a church. Listen to the testimonies and the stories of others. Stay within the fellowship of believers because soon it might be your story that is lifting up others out of the pit. Are you a child of the light? Last week, Paul encouraged us to encourage with hope. This week, I encourage you. Encourage others with the good news in your life. Encourage others with the story of hope the Lord has given you. Church, you are a child of the light. May we be people who encourage one another with the light that has been revealed to us and with the good news of Jesus Christ you pray with me? Lord, thanks. Uh, Thank you that you did not have destruction for us. Thank you that you did not have wrath for us. Thank you that you had salvation planned for us. Lord, for myself, thank you for revealing to me through brothers and sisters in Christ that the lies I believed about myself were not true. Thank you for the similar testimonies in this room of sisters and brothers who have embraced the truth of your scripture, the truth of your promises that we are your children, that we are your beloved. Hmm. God, that is good. And so we thank you for the gift of your church, how it builds and encourages us. Lord, may we lift one another out of the pit to the life and the light that we have found. We pray the song in Christ's name.